You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right, good morning, Radiant Church. Good to see all of you here. For those of you watching online as well, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure. Leave us a comment, leave us some feedback, let us know that you were here today watching. If you are new with us again, my name is Marco, I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you again for making Radiant a part of your weekend. Well listen, I want to just highlight something quickly. Next week you saw it or you heard it on the announcements. Next week we are taking up a special offering for an organization known as Sleep in Heavenly Peace. I love the motto of this organization, it's nonprofit, no kid sleeps on the floor in our town. And so Sunday, come prepared to give above and beyond the tithe, the tithe belongs to the Lord. We give above and beyond that to offer as offerings to other organizations to go outside of things uh, to better and help our community. And so our goal is $5,000. I think we're going to blow that goal out of the water. I don't have any doubt about that. But listen, if you're not going to be in town, there'll also be a way that you can give online. It'll be included in the drop-down menu. If you give normally online, that will be uh, the best way for you to give. Obviously, if you're not here, that'll be open for about 24 hours, that specific uh, line item there for you to give. And what better way to just kind of exercise our faith? What better way to really participate, listen, in God's economy in the midst of, you know, all kinds of trouble and turmoil, of course, and Uh, crazy gas prices and the economy just sort of falling out, we have an opportunity to give generously, to participate in God's economy. It doesn't just happen by wishing it would. Listen, it happens when we participate. We actually have to give. We have to be a part of it. And then we get to exercise our faith and see what God will do. And I believe God is going to use Radiant to bless sleep in heavenly peace in a huge way. Plus, later this summer, we'll partner with them to build beds um, uh, right here at Radiant Church, and we'll be a part of that team as well. So exciting news to come. Well, listen, today we are beginning a new three-week message series entitled The Disciple, Becoming a Follower of Jesus Christ. And we are sort of nailing down what does it look like? What does it mean to be a follower? And let me just say this more specifically, what does it look like to be a disciple? This is what this is all about. What is a disciple? There are so many misconceptions about what a disciple of Jesus looks like and is and how that should sort of feel and look like in our day and age. I want to begin by just simply sharing with you some of my own experiences and some some thought process that I had as far as what does it look like or what does it mean to be a disciple. I used to think that, you know, being a disciple was, uh, for, the four, for, the, for the most part, three different things. Number one, it was attending church, right? That's, that's okay. I'm a disciple, so I, I attend church once in a while. Um, number two, maybe pray at least before you eat your meals, right? You might not have a prayer life. But hey, if I can pray at least before meals, you know, grace, say, say grace or say something like, thank you, Jesus. I think that counts as a prayer, doesn't it? Okay, check. I did that one. And then maybe read my Bible, okay? Now, I don't read it every day, Pastor Marco, but I do read it every week, once a week or once every few weeks. I do actually dust the pages off and I try to read it, right? And I sort of thought like, hey, if that's 
all you do, those three things, well, you're good to go, right? Just heaven is your home, and uh, it's your awaited gift, and try not to swear, and don't watch rated R movies unless they're action movies, and it's okay, right? And so if you can just sort of live a semi-moral life, then I guess you're a Christian, and I guess that's what it means to be a disciple. And, you know, that is really falling completely short of what it means from the Scripture's definition of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, and we're going to learn about that today. You know, in the West, I say the West, I mean, like, really the United States of America, um, I think that many people's definition of what a disciple is, is simply someone who believes that God exists and is real. And that's, and that's it, <laughs> okay? That's it. You're like, hey, well, I'm not a Satanist. I believe in God. Well, that's, oh, oh, wow, that's, that's great. Um, did you know the demons actually believe in God as well, right? Wow, great. So a lot of people in the West believe that God is real and that Jesus is real. And, and that's it, right? That's kind of where it ends. That's pretty much it. But they would call themselves a believer, or they might even say they're a Christian. They may even say that, right? What about growing as a disciple, right? What does it look like if you want to grow up and mature as a disciple of Jesus Christ? I, I used to think again um, in my naivety, I used to believe that maturing or growing really just meant one thing, and that was just learning more about the Bible. Like, if I could just learn more Bible, if I could just learn more theology, then I'll be good to go. I am maturing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But what I discovered is this, is that you can know a lot about theology. You can know a lot of theology, and you can know a lot about the Bible, even have uh, verses memorized, and you can be a very immature disciple be a very immature disciple. So I'm like, wow, what, 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 what's going on here, right? Because as I look back on my life and as I reflect, I've been, a, I've been a follower of Jesus for 20 years. I've been a lead pastor for five of those years. I've been reflecting and thinking to myself, well, you know, I've known, so, I've known a lot of churchgoers who, well, they were really good at attending church, but that was kind of it. You know what I mean? Like they weren't, they didn't like to give. They were kind of mean. They were mean-spirited. Um, sometimes they were greedy, um, over-political at times, right? Over-cynical. Uh, I mean, really critical of other people. They're very judgmental. And I'm like, well, I don't think that really is what Jesus meant by being a disciple. Is, is that it? You just go to church and you sort of kind of, you're, you're, you're in, that's it. You're, you're, you're all of a sudden a Christian, a believer. And I'm like, what is missing? There's got to be more. And I'm just baffled. Like, why is it that, you know, some people can attend church forever, but not change? <laughs> Never change. We'll talk a little bit about that in this series. But why is that? They're still greedy, still mean, still won't give, still won't participate, still won't serve. It's like, what? what what's happening? Is that all Jesus meant? We were just supposed to sort of wait for heaven and be a crotchety old man or woman, there's got to be more to discipleship than that, right? And so today what I want to do is I want to strip away all of the, you know, like the, the surface level 
definitions that we've come up with. Oh, I think it's go to church. Well, I think you should pray before meals. I think you should live a semi-moral life. I think you should try not to swear too much, but when someone cuts you off, it's okay. It's okay there, right? Try not to watch rated R movies, especially the ones with nudity. Oh, but when they're blowing up people, especially terrorists, that's okay. That's okay. That's cool, right? What? what? Like, we've come up with all these different definitions of what it means to be a disciple, and I'm afraid that about 97% of us are wrong, right? Including me, I was wrong for so long. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go back into the New Testament, and we're going to look at the life of Jesus just a bit, okay? And we're going to look at what does discipleship mean in the first century Jewish context, okay? The first century Jewish context, because a lot of people have a lot of different beliefs about what it means. I'm a good person. I'm semi-moral. I believe that God exists, but I also believe there's many ways to heaven. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, we've got to boil it down. What does the scripture talk about when it says that we're supposed to be disciples of Jesus? And we're going to look at that this morning. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then I want you to go to Mark's gospel. We're going to go to Mark 1, and we're going to sort of just blaze through three different passages of Scripture from the Gospel of Mark. And then we're going to sort of unpack those and take it from there. So let's go there, or let's, let's go ahead. Rather, let's prepare our hearts, and let's pray together, and then we'll go into our Scripture. Lord, we love you today, and we thank you so much for just your presence here as we, as we just got done singing about that. Holy Spirit, we know that you're already here but we also go and we do our part and we just say, you're welcome. You're welcome here. God, you're welcome in our lives. You're welcome to invade our space. You're welcome to open up our eyes to see things that we had never seen before or to re-see things, God. Maybe we, we've just been so set in our ways. And so, Father, we ask that by the Spirit of God that you might open our eyes. I pray, Father, that you might, by your Holy Spirit, um, soften hardened hearts because I know Hearts are hardened today because of life circumstances, because of, of uh, the world around us, because of difficulty, because of pain, God, because of suffering, our hearts become hardened. Father, I pray that you might um, uh, just give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying so that we might apply his words to our lives and be transformed. So God, we say yes and amen. We say we say, do what you want to do in our lives, God, and in our family's lives, and in our spouse's life, Lord, in our children's life. We just invite you into our families here at Radiant Church, God, in a very, very dark world. Lord, um, our families need you. We don't need more education. We need Jesus. And so we don't need any more pills or drugs. We need Jesus. And so we just call upon the name of Jesus. Uh, be our only solution because we know that you are our only answer for the darkness that is covering our land right now, the darkness that covers our country. Father, we turn to you and we just say, all hail, King Jesus, holy is your name. In Jesus' name. All right, Mark chapter 1, uh, we're going to blaze through three passages, so, so hang on with me. Mark 1, verse 16 We'll start there. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, 
for they were fishermen. And let me just pause there quickly. I want you to take note that uh, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, they already have jobs, okay? So they already have a vocation. They're already doing something, okay? So just keep that in mind. Verse 17, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. And when he had gone a little further, he, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And so these guys are fishermen as well. This is their vocation. Without delay, he called them and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat. So they leave dad high and dry with the hired men. And they what? Followed him. They follow Jesus. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn the page to Mark chapter 2 or look to your right. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse number 13. And this is what it says. Mark 2, 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. So I think the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret. A large crowd saw him, or a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. So this is, this is um, Levi. What is Levi doing right here? This is really interesting. Levi's Jewish, but Levi is working for the enemy. He got hired by the enemy. Who is the enemy right now? It's Rome. That's right. Rome. Exactly. The Roman Empire. He's collecting taxes for Rome. So Levi has to make some money for himself, so he's going to hike up those taxes, right? And so a lot of the Jewish people despise him because why? He's working for the enemy. He is a betrayer of, of uh, their people. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him, followed Jesus. Okay? Mark 8, we're going to go a few pages further. Mark chapter 8 beginning in verse 34, it says this. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and what? Follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Okay, this is really important. But whoever loses their life for me, for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? <clears throat> Let's take these three passages and begin to just unpack them, um, if you would, for a few moments. If you were living in the first century context in, the, in Israel and Palestine, the most common way that you would know Jesus is as a rabbi. A rabbi means teacher, and rabbi is the Hebrew word for teacher. Many of you probably already knew this, but a rabbi would travel town to town, and he would take his yoke with him. Not a yolk, okay? I'm not talking about an egg yolk. He wouldn't crack eggs over people's heads, okay? His yoke, Y-O-K-E. What does a yoke mean? Because we don't use that language in our day and age. A yoke is really a way of teaching the Torah. 
It's a way of teaching the Torah. That's another vocabulary word for you this morning. Torah simply means instruction or teaching. So when we talk about the Torah, the Jewish people knew and understood the Torah as what? Teaching and instruction. Specifically from who? Yahweh. Torah, teaching, instruction. So Jesus would travel from town to town, take his yoke, right, his instruction, his way of teaching, and then he would what? Call people to follow him and be his disciples. Now, I want you to see the common thread here. I hope you noticed this already. Did you notice that Jesus doesn't say, hey, come and believe in me and you'll go to heaven? Okay. Hey, if you'll just be a semi-good person and, and attend church once in, a, once in a while, you'll go to heaven and everything will be okay. Jesus doesn't do that, right? When we look at the scripture closely, and this is what we should do, right? Jesus never says that. He doesn't say, hey, believe in me, and, and you, you know, everything will be fine, and you'll have a great life, and all is well. What does Jesus say? He says, come, follow me, right? Or specifically, come and be my disciple. Come and be my disciple. Now, the word disciple in Hebrew is talmudim. Write this down. This is important. Talmudim is the word in Hebrew for disciple. Very interesting word here. The word also means follower or student. It means follower or student. Now, it's really easy to take that definition and to sort of bring it into 2022, but I don't want you to do that because we, we can't understand follower or student in the modern sense. We have to get rid of that. We're, the Bible wasn't written in 2021 or 2022, okay? What we need to do, rather, is to think about it in its Jewish context. So follower doesn't mean like, you know, hey, I follow, you know, Justin Bieber on Twitter or whoever it is, right? And um, I like all of his photos. They're amazing, okay? <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. I have, you know, 10,000 followers on TikTok, and I'm growing you know, one more MC Hammer move, and that'll give me 10,001 followers, you know, whatever that is for you, right? Let's throw that out the window. Now, student, we need to do the same thing. It's not necessarily like a student like we think of today, because a student today is somebody who just goes to school, you know, sit in a classroom, they learn, um, they regurgitate information, and, um, you know, they study. That's, that's kind of what a student is. So don't think of, you know, I'm a student at Saginaw Valley. I'm a student at, you know, Essesville Garber High School. Don't, don't think of it like that, okay? If you're a high school student, think of it, uh, well, think of it differently. And, and I'll begin to teach you what that means, okay? The best English word that we have for a disciple, if we want to kind of bring it into our context, the best English word that we have is actually the word apprentice. It's the word apprentice, so what is apprentice? Uh, many of you know this already, but I'll just say it's simply this. A person who works for another to learn a skill or a trade. Someone who works for someone else to learn specifically a skill or a trade. And in the first century world, discipleship was part and parcel of that world. Jesus did not invent discipleship. It already existed in the ancient world. It already existed. It's kind of amazing, right? But when we use the word discipleship in our modern context, 
we mostly strip it, <laughs> we strip it of, its, of its original context and we use it um, sometimes in a different way, right? We use it in a different way. That's why many of us are like, well, I think a disciple is someone who goes to church. I think a, a disciple is someone who tries not to swear. Um, I think a disciple is someone who at least goes to church twice, you know, Christmas, Easter, whatever. I think that's a disciple. It's like, well, okay, no. Let's get down to the real definition of what discipleship is, okay? So let's dig deeper. Let's dig deeper. If we're going to understand discipleship, we have to understand the Jewish system of education, okay? So a little history lesson for you today, you history buffs, okay? I know you're excited to learn some history. You're going to learn a little bit of some cultural, historic uh, context for what a discipleship or what, what discipleship is. If we want to talk about the Jewish education system, it was consisted of, or it consisted of rather, three different levels of education, okay? Three different levels of education. The very first level was called bet safer, right? Bet safer, kind of a cool word, right? Bet safer. What does that mean? Bet safer simply means this, house of the book. So bet means a house, house of the book. Now this essentially for Jewish children was what? Like elementary school, right? So at Bet Safer, Jewish kids would learn how to read, how to write, how to uh, you know, learn the Hebrew alphabet, of course. They would learn the fundamentals of Torah. What's Torah again? Again, that's God's instruction, God's teaching. What, what do we know Torah as? Well, the first five books of the Bible or the entire Old Testament, either one, those both fit the definition. So children would learn how to read, how to write in the fundamentals of Torah, okay? Now check this out, church. This is amazing. Most children had the entire first five books of the Bible memorized by the age of 10 or 12 years old. So if you think you can't memorize a Bible verse, think again. I think you can, okay? If you've memorized your phone number, I think, I think you have a shot. I really do. I think you have a shot. The first five books of the Bible memorized. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Whoa, Leviticus, are you serious? All the blood sacrifices? Yep. Numbers, all the numbers. Deuteronomy. Wow, that's insane, right? That's insane. Uh, by the age 10 or 12. Now, listen, for most kids, that was, that was it. You graduated from high school. That was like, you know, okay, anyways, right? You graduated, you, you did it, you're done, right? So males, Jewish boys, would apprentice under their father's family business, okay? Females would what? They were ready to marry and start a family. 13 years old, wow. That was the majority of Jewish kids. But, let me say this, the best of the best, so I'm talking about the brightest kids, the, the, the really academic ones, the ones who really, really knew their stuff, okay? For them, there was a second level of education, and this was known as Bet Talmud, Bet Talmud. That's pretty, pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool word. Bet Talmud. What does that mean? It means the house of learning. The house of learning. What is the house of learning? Well, literally, that was a house that was attached to the synagogue, okay, for these best of the best students, those 12-year-olds, those 13-year-olds who were sort of the cream of the crop, they would go on to Bet Talmud, 
house of learning. And check this out. This is for males only, ages 12 through 14, okay? And check this out. They memorized the entire Old Testament. By the age of 14, you would have the entire Old Testament memorized. Again, that's insane. That's amazing, right? Again, for many of those students, that was the end of their road. I mean, that's pretty amazing if you ask me, right? Being able to recite the, the entire Old Testament. But there was one more category, you guys, and it was for the cream of the crop, the top of the top of the top, the most brilliant Rhodes Scholars, academic geniuses among the group. That's right. There was a few. And the best of the best of the very, very best would go on to become what? A Talmudim. A Talmudim. A disciple. And these were the most brilliant of Rhodes scholars, and they would get the opportunity to what? To study under a rabbi. To study under the rabbi. Wow, I mean, this is like a golden opportunity, right? The golden ticket in Willy Wonka language, right? Golden opportunity to study under the rabbi. If you were lucky enough to get an interview with a rabbi, the rabbi would just drill you. Just drill you and say, do you know so-and-so's interpretation of Psalm 27? Tell me about it right now. And then the rabbi would say, Genesis chapter 27, verse 8 says this. Tell me what verse 9 says. You'd have to say it. Psalm 34, verse 5 says this. Tell me what verse 4 says right now. And by the way, recite the whole chapter before that. Do it now. And if you fell short in any area, listen, you would automatically be dismissed. You would not be able to be a disciple, a Talmudian. So the cream of the crop, the very top, the very top of the top. And listen, if the rabbi looked at you, and if he believed that you had the brain power, the brilliance, um, the acumen, the, 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 the drive, and the work ethic, if he believed you had all those things, he would look at you and say, what would he say? He would say, come and follow me. Are you putting together the pieces now? Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, but who is he calling to come and follow him? It's not the Rhodes Scholars. You know why? Because these men are already in a trade. That means they did not reach the top of the top of the top in Jewish education. He's calling fishermen, like these everyday Joe dudes, to come and follow him. And this is like mind-blowing for them, right? Come and be one of my Talmudim. Now, if you were lucky enough to hear those words, I want you to really pay attention now. You had three goals, three goals, okay? Three goals. Now, here's why I want you to pay attention to these, because these are, these are the same three goals for us today, all right? The same three, goal, three goals exist for disciples of Jesus today. If you are calling yourself a disciple, this is, you have to have all these three goals. Number one, first you had to be with your rabbi. So listen, number one, following Jesus is an invitation to be with Jesus. Following Jesus is an invitation to be with Jesus. This is really good stuff. Following Jesus is an invitation to what? To be with 
Jesus. Let's look at the Bible so we can figure this out further. And by the way, next week we'll go further into this. If you want to be a disciple, listen, you have to be with Jesus. Mark 3.13 says this, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those who he wanted. And they came to him. And church, listen to this, verse 14. He appointed 12 that they might what? Be with him. Be with him. And that he might send them out to what? Preach, to preach. Can I just tell you right here that being with Jesus precedes ministry for Jesus? Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, that was better than you all reacted. Come on. <laughs> Come on, that was pathetic. Being with Jesus precedes anything that you do for God. Come on, someone. So many Christians are like, what's the point of church? I don't want to go to church. It's being with Jesus. It is an end in itself. Hello? It's not relevant anymore. Why should we go to church? Hello? Jesus said, he, come and follow me and what? Be with me. Time spent with Jesus is not, the world thinks it's foolish. The world thinks it's ignorant. The world thinks it's stupidity. But for the follower of Christ, we know it's life. Come on. We know it's life. Being with Jesus equals life. So he says, come and be with him, and then I'll send you out. You can't be sent out unless you're with him in the first place. Come on, someone, right? You can't go out and do ministry when you haven't been with him. It doesn't work that way. It's backwards. Verse 15, and to have authority. Listen, he sent them out to preach and to what? To have authority to drive out demons. Did you know you have authority in Jesus Christ to drive out demons? We don't talk about that a lot in church, but it's true. 98% of Christians are not using their God-given authority. They're just living life in a 100% natural way. Post-enlightenment culture, they bought into all of it. No supernatural exists. And that's all they're doing. But Jesus says you have authority to what? To cast out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the names Bonagris or something, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I'm just going to ask you a question, and then we're going to move forward from there. Listen, how are you being with Jesus? Are you being with Jesus every day? Let's keep going. The world, listen, I'm sorry. So being with Jesus meant, listen, that you followed your rabbi around, guess what, 24 hours a day. So if your rabbi took a nap, <laughs> you took a nap too. If your rabbi ate some pita and hummus, you had some pita and hummus too. If your, if your rabbi took a seat, well, you sat, you sat next to him, okay? In fact, there was a saying that was said in that time and day, and it was this, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi, right? So as the rabbi's walking in a dusty, you know, Mediterranean region, Palestine, with sandals, that you would walk so closely to your rabbi that his dust would literally cover you. That's an image of how we should follow Jesus, Right? The second goal, listen, the second goal to, be, to being a disciple is this. The second goal was to become like your rabbi. So number two, following Jesus is an invitation to become like Jesus. Following Jesus is an invitation, listen, to become like Jesus. Okay? Now, we're all working on that. That's called sanctification, right? 
But look at Luke 11.1. 1. Luke 11.1 1 says this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. What do the disciples want to know? They want to know how to pray. They want to be like Jesus. They see Jesus praying, and they're like, man, I want that prayer life. I want to pray like you. I want to pray with the intimacy you have. I want to pray with the fervency you have, Jesus. Come on, teach us how to pray. We want to be like you. And Jesus says, let me show you, our Father. Mic drop. Father? Wait, well, what? God is our Father, and Jesus introduces a whole new way to relate to God. But they wanted to be like him. Jesus teaches to pray. You know, there's a phrase that Jesus uses, I will make you fishers of men. Um, I used to think it was just a cheesy way to explain evangelism, okay? It's actually not. I learned it's a first century euphemism to describe being a great teacher. That's what it actually means, right? In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm a rabbi, and I'm also going to make you a rabbi. I'm going to make you a teacher. So think about this, following after Jesus, becoming like Jesus. Listen, we live, if you haven't, if you, haven't you know, known this, we live in an age of radical individualism, don't we? Radical individualism. You just do you, boo-boo. You, hey, you got to follow, and Christians are doing this today. Hey, you got to just go with what your gut tells you. Just go with your heart, man. Follow your heart. Hey, man, you got to do what makes you happy. Just do what makes you happy, right? Hey, follow your feelings. How's that working out for society right now? How's that working out for a nation? It's not working out at all. It's a breakdown of a society we literally see happening right now. And I don't even feel like I'm an alarmist for saying that. <laughs> We live in this radical age, listen, where we just want to be, you know, an individual. But when you followed your rabbi, that was not the point at all. The point was to become a carbon copy of your rabbi. Jesus doesn't want you to be like yourself. He wants you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be like your favorite TikToker. He wants you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be like your favorite political candidate. He wants you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be like your favorite YouTube influencer. He wants you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be like your Aunt Sally, who you think has got it all together. He don't want that. He wants you to be like him. He don't want you to be like your deadbeat father who left when you were two years old. He wants you to be like him. And so we have this jaded perspective of what we think that being a disciple is, right? And so when you were a disciple, you, you copied his voice. You copied your rabbi's mannerisms, uh, even the way he dressed to be just like him, right? So we got be with Jesus, become like him, okay? Are you becoming more like Jesus in your marriage? Ooh, snap. Whew, that'll dig deep right there. That'll dig deep. That'll dig deep, y'all. And I'm, I'm, I'm in it with you. Are you becoming more like Jesus as a father, as a mother? How are you becoming like Jesus? Let me, just, let me just leave you with that. There's a third goal, though. The third goal was to do what your rabbi had been doing. 
to do. So number three, following Jesus is an invitation to do what Jesus did. Following Jesus is an invitation to do what Jesus did. This is really important stuff. This is fundamental to our series, this, this part one. Jesus was a rabbi, obviously. He was more than a rabbi. He was Messiah. He was ushering the kingdom of God. So our job as disciples, listen, isn't just to know more about the Bible. That is really important, and you should be doing that because Paul says that we need to be growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Colossians 1 or 2, I think. So that is important. And, be, and besides, you can't be with Jesus if you never have your Bible open at home. Don't expect Jesus to visit your marriage if, if you're never reading your scripture. I'm just going to be real today. Don't expect to grow as a disciple if you've never opened up the book. And let me just say this one more thing. You're going to be discipled by someone, but you have to decide who it is. You're going to be discipled by CNN or Fox. You're going to be discipled by your favorite YouTube influencer. You're going to be discipled by your favorite social media platform. You're going to be discipled by your favorite radio program. You're going to be discipled by something or someone. You need to decide who it's going to be, though. A lot of people in the church are not being discipled by Jesus. They're being discipled by their culture. Okay? So what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do that we can do today? Well, let me just give you a list. It's not exhaustive, okay? Um, but it is a list for us to begin to think about what Jesus did. Number one, preaching the gospel, okay? To do as Jesus did, you must preach the gospel. Preach it with your life. Preach it with words. Number two, teaching the way. Teaching the way. What does that mean? The way of Jesus. The, the ways of Jesus. What was Jesus like? How did he act? How did he, how did he interact with people? All, all of those things. Healing the sick, okay? Healing the sick, right? What does that mean? It means praying for people who are sick, laying your hands on them, right? As a, as a father, um, my wife will ask me, she'll say, will you lay your hands on Ezra or Ari and pray for them? I say, yeah. So I lay my hands on their head and, then I, and I pray healing for my kids. Parents, you can do the same thing. You have the authority to do that in Christ. Casting out demons, it's another one, again, we don't talk about that. That's a little freaky for a lot of us, okay? Um, depending on your background, you may not think that's real. You may think that's only for the first century, but it is real today. Eating and drinking with people far from God. That's what Jesus did, right? And so we can do the same thing. We can have meals with people who are not believers, of course. Uh, Jesus did that. Um, feeding and caring for the poor and speaking up for the marginalized, right? We can do that. Peacemaking, you can be a peacemaker at home, you can be a peacemaker at work with your employees, um, with your coworkers, whatever, you, whatever sort of profession um, you're in, you can be a peacemaker anywhere. Praying, that's a, that's a pretty basic one, isn't it? Praying, you can, you can pray, you can be a prayer, yeah, you can pray. Prophesying, prophesying, what does that mean? New Testament prophecy simply means this, that you're bringing a, a spontaneous word from the Holy Spirit that leads to someone strengthening encouragement, and comfort. Those three things. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's for the building up of the church, okay? The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the prophets, they pronounced judgment on Israel for their um, lack of devotion to God, for their hearts being cold and hardened. But in the New Testament, that gift by the Holy Spirit is used for people for the strengthening, encouragement, and comforting 
of others. You never use it to air out people's dirty laundry. You never use it to pronounce death on someone. You never do that. If someone says, someone comes up to you and says, I see a vision of you dying in a car accident, you rebuke that person. You have my permission. And you tell them, I do not receive that word. That's from Satan, and I cancel that through the blood of Jesus. You do not have, you do not have to receive that word. That is not a word from God. It's a word from Satan. Prophecy is always for encouraging, strengthening, and comforting. Finally, standing up to religious and political corruption. Jesus did this as well. So as disciples of Jesus Christ, we, we fundamentally, there are three things that we want to orient our lives around, right? Number one, being with Jesus. Number two, becoming like Jesus. Number three, doing as Jesus did, right? All of those things I just listed, and probably many, many more if you were to study the New Testament on your own, okay? Those three things. Now, here's what I want to say to you about these things, is that, let me first say this. It starts with the human heart, right? It it starts with the human heart in discipleship. And as our hearts are transformed, that leads to an external transformation in our lives, but you can't do an external change without an internal change. Make sense? You can't say, I'm going to be a disciple, but your heart, you haven't given your heart to Christ. Okay? You, you can't do that. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. You can try, but you're not going to succeed. I promise you. you I promise you that you won't succeed. You'll be like a, like a counterfeit. It'll be like a counterfeit. It'll, 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 it'll appear real, but, it, but believers, true followers, will recognize the fruit in your life. So it starts with the heart, and then it leads outside. And then let me also say this, that following Jesus, listen, I want to just be clear, it doesn't work as a hobby. Does that make sense? Like, following Jesus doesn't work as a side project. Following Jesus doesn't work as a side hustle. Following Jesus doesn't even work as a Sunday tradition. Okay? Okay? It doesn't even work that way. Sorry, guys, it just doesn't. Let me say it this way. Following Jesus makes the most sense when it's the whole point of your life. Everything is wrapped around that, right? Everything is wrapped around, like what, Marco? Well, (laughs) being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing as Jesus did. Those three things. What does that mean I have to quit my job? No, it doesn't have to mean you quit your job. No. The good news is that you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to um, be a prophet. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to start a nonprofit, okay? You don't have to do any of those things. It's okay. You can breathe a sigh of relief. You don't have to work for a nonprofit. You can work and make all the money you want and be so happy and just, you know, full of joy, I guess, whatever. Um, but you don't have to quit your job, right? You don't have to quit your job. You can follow Jesus wherever you find yourself as a banker, as an entrepreneur, as a chef, as a hairstylist, as a doctor, um, as a business owner. It's true. You can follow Jesus in all of those things. In fact, if that's what you're doing, if you're already doing those things, then you probably should follow Jesus too, okay? You don't need to quit or do something else. It's very, very likely God has called you to do that. God has called you to be a business owner. God has called you to be a chef. God has called you to be a stylist. God has called you to be an attorney. God has called you to be a teacher. It's probably likely that God has called you to do those things, so, so do them. But follow Jesus. What it does mean for your life, however, is that now your life is an apprenticeship to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. 
So what that means is that now following Jesus has become the focal point of your life, the focal point of your life. Did you know in the New Testament, Jesus, Jesus does not call us to, or Jesus calls us to be disciples and not Christians. Did you know that? In the New Testament, Jesus doesn't say be a Christian. He says be a disciple. It's really, really important that you understand that because that's what we see in the New Testament. The word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament. But the word disciple is used at 268 times in the New Testament. Wow. That's profound. Right? What is the difference between a Christian and a disciple? Well, I think there is a very big difference. For most people in the West, the word Christian just, me just means that you believe the foundations of the Christian you believe the foundations of the Christian faith. You attend church at least on Christmas and Easter, and you live a semi-moral life. For most Westerners, that's what Christians mean, okay? For many people, a Christian just simply means, it's just one way of saying that you're not a Buddhist or you're not a Muslim. That's for... That's for that's the definition for many people in the West. Being a Christian for many people in the West is actually more about Jesus following you. Yeah, Jesus following you. Jesus agreeing with everything that you're already doing. Jesus just putting his stamp of approval on the way you, you've decided to live your life. That's what Christianity is for a lot of people. Just Jesus following you. For, for many people in the West, it's about Jesus helping you feel better about yourself. That's it. It's like Jesus, the good therapist. He's a good ther therapist. Right? He makes me feel good about myself. Or we've bought into even a therapeutic gospel, a gospel that just makes us feel good about ourselves and what we're already doing. But if it's a gospel that condemns sin, we're offended and we don't want anything to do with it. The gospel in the New Testament is that very gospel. It's a gospel that calls us to what? To, to holiness. To live what? Counterculture. One study says that a nationwide report reported that 76% of people claimed it to be Christian, but in reality, it's actually under 10% are actually following Jesus. The great thinker and teacher, Dallas Willard, said this, the greatest issue facing the world today with all of its heartbreaking needs, which is true, right, is whether those who identify as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens in every corner of human existence. That is the greatest dilemma that we're facing, right? Will people in the church not just be church attenders, but actually disciples, right? Real disciples. That's what we want. That's what we want. Now, in the Jewish culture, it was only the rock star students who got to be disciples, right? The best of the best, the most brilliant, um, you know, they had uh, all of the credentials to be a disciple. But there's so much good news for us today, you guys. The good news for us is that it doesn't matter how smart you are. 
doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if you have a college education. In fact, maybe it's better if you don't, <laughs> right? <laughs> Gosh, today, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's iffy. <laughs> it's iffy. <laughs> I'm just being real. It doesn't matter what kind of family you come from. Maybe you came from a, a beautiful family, a wonderful family, where everybody was super attractive and they, they did everything right every time. But maybe you were, it's a little bit more realistic, and you come from a family where there's a lot of dysfunction. There's a lot of addiction. There's a lot of narcissism. There's a lot of worshiping of yourself. Guess what? The invitation stands for you today. You could be a disciple. Jesus is calling you. Just like those first fishermen, right? They were just average Joes. They had not succeeded to becoming a Talmudim. But Jesus says, hey, listen, you're in your vocation, and I just invite you to come and follow me. I invite you to become one of my disciples, okay? And today, here now, it stands, Jesus is calling you to a life, a life more abundant. It's a life that's not racked by fear, worry, and anxiety, by the way. It's a life where greed doesn't rule you. It's a life where your own love for your own self doesn't rule you. It's a life where you are set free from addiction. Praise God. Someone say amen. It's a life where you belong to a family, other believers, with a heavenly father. And for some of you, that's, that means a father that was never there, father that never gave you the example that you needed. That's what it means to be a disciple, that you come into a family. But let me just say this. It won't happen automatically. It won't even happen if you come to church three or four times a, a, a month. I mean, that's really good, and I'm so grateful for that. But that doesn't even guarantee that you're going to live a life abundant. It doesn't mean that. You might still be trapped in your own sinful nature, addicted, and just a slave to your sin. I don't want that for you. Jesus doesn't want that for you. What it takes, actually, is it takes practice. Did you know this? A disciple, to be a disciple, it takes practice. That's good news. Whew. That's good news, because I'm practicing, and I'm still practicing, and I hope you're practicing, too. It takes practice. It's not a hobby, though. Following Jesus is not a hobby. It's a lifetime commitment, okay? It's a lifetime commitment. And so today, listen, I just want to invite you. I just simply want to invite you, listen, to walk away from the life that you once knew if that's, if that's relevant for any of you today, to walk away from a life that you once knew, if you're watching online right now, to walk away from a life that you once knew and to begin to follow Jesus. It doesn't mean that you have to quit your job. It, it might mean that, depending on what you do, but that's, not, that's between you and the Holy Spirit, right? I'm sure he'll show you. But what it does mean is that the focal point of your life now becomes three things. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing as Jesus did. And it's not overnight. It doesn't happen in a couple of months. Jesus says he wants you to enlist in a lifetime commitment, a lifetime commitment to following him, to laying down your life, listen, and following Jesus. So I just, to, next week, we'll go deeper into what does it mean to be with Jesus? That's a great question. What does it mean to, to be like Jesus? Another great question. What does it mean to, to do like Jesus did? We'll go further and deeper into those things because I know that's what you want to know. But for today, just for today, listen, I just simply want you, I want to invite you to become a disciple. And for some of you, that means that you've been a Christian for a long time. 
um, or you've been a church goer for a long time, but, but it doesn't mean that you're a disciple. So I want you, to, I'm going to invite you in into becoming a disciple, okay? To walking with him, becoming like him, okay? Being with him, doing as he did. I want to invite you to that. For some of you, you've been going to church for a very, very long time, but you're still not a disciple. And I'm going to ask you, would you, would you step it up a notch? Would you say, I want to become a disciple of Christ? For others of you, you're not a churchgoer at all. Maybe, maybe there's a couple of you here. And I want to invite you to leave your way of sin behind. You haven't been to church in many, 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 many years. And I want to invite you to come into the gathering where we gather to be with Jesus, okay? Which is a very big deal to believers. Um, and I want to invite you to leave the old life behind you and become a disciple today. Become a disciple today. Turn away from your sin. Walk with Jesus. And be with him. Be like him. Do what he did. Okay? Can we just pray right now? Let's pray. Every, every head bowed, every eye closed. For just a moment, if you would, just take up a posture of prayer. Whatever posture you're comfortable with is fine. But I want to invite you. If you're here today, hey, can you become a disciple? I want to invite you into that life. It's a life more abundant. It's not a life that's racked by addiction. It's not a life that's racked by your selfish desires. It's not, a, it's not a life where you are the king or the queen. It's a life where that you surrender and you lay your life down for the true king, and that is King Jesus. And would you accept that invitation today? If you're here, I, want, I would love for you to accept that invitation. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your whatever life, whatever, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's postmodernism that you've been that you've bought into their lies, whether it's a different religion, I want, you to, I want to ask you to turn away from that. For some of us, it's seen fortune tellers or mystics, tarot card reading, that's all demonic. I want you to turn away from that too. For some of you, it's just reading your horoscope, you think you're spiritual, turn away from that too. I want you to turn away from all those things. I'm going to ask you to be bold and to turn away from all worldliness and turn to Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much, God, for what you're doing in our lives and in our hearts. Father, we repent of our sin. Forgive us, God. Forgive us for being the king or the queen of our lives. Forgive us for all the ways that we have thought we, 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 thought we, we knew what a disciple was, but we had no idea. Lord, would you correct that vision for us? Would you center our hearts on your son, Jesus, God? Lord, I pray if someone doesn't know you right now, God, right now, that they would repent of sin. I pray that I would even have a chance to talk to them more about who you are today, God. Today, they would pray with one of our prayer team members. Lord, we decide to follow you, to be your disciple, God, to become like you in all that we do, to be with you, God, to do like you. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. Fill our lives, fill our hearts. We receive you right now.